Well, if you take notes, you're going to need some um, you need some note paper here this morning. There's going to be more than a couple of references in our message today. I'm going to be speaking on tithing and giving for Christians. Tithing and giving for Christians. I think, as you all know, the the word tithe means a tenth, one tenth. And interestingly, the the biblical word for gifts, a gift is something that's generally given to God. And one of the other uses of the word is a, a gift as in a bribe. The same word is used to to give to somebody to secure your your favor in in the Hebrew language. So tithing and and giving are different things in the Old Testament and and in the New Testament. I wanted to take some time and study this with you today. I've never taught on it. I don't think anywhere before. I have probably in Cambodia we have but that would be a subject that we need to understand biblically. I think you all know it would be obvious to say that the people of God, the people of the Bible, have brought their gifts and their, their ties to God from the very earliest of times. And interestingly, even before the law, before the law was revealed to Moses and Moses was able to explain to the nation of Israel that there was such thing as a tithe. And I think we all would have assumed, maybe all of you would have assumed that the tithing came with the giving of the Old Testament law. But even Cain and Abel, when they brought their gifts to the Lord, Moses' law certainly wasn't in in effect. They didn't know of Moses' law, so they had some revelation made known to them. Uh, more likely than not, I'm assuming it would be through Abel. And those brought their gifts and sacrifices to God. Abraham brought a tithe. To whom? Do you remember who Abraham tithed? Melchizedek. Abraham brought a tithe to Melchizedek. Again, this is before the time of Moses. And, and even more interesting than Abraham's tithe to Melchizedek, is Levi's tithe that was offered while in the loins of Abraham. Very, very strange passage mentioned in the book of Hebrews in chapter 7. So, obviously, Melchizedek was a great, great man, most likely a, a priest. Some say a uh, an Old Testament appearance of the Christ, Melchizedek being a very mysterious person, but received this tithe from Abraham. Jacob also tithed, one of the sons of Abraham tithed. He was going to leave the land of his father, and he was going to find a wife. His desire was to go and find a wife, and he promised to give God a tithe if God would go with him and give him favor. Genesis 28, you would read about this promise Jacob makes to tithe. The Jews, the ancient Hebrews, tithed crops. They tithed animals. They would give a tenth of their crops They would give their first fruits of crops. They would give the firstborn animals. And I don't know if you would have known this or not, but there were three tithes that the Jews would make in the course of any given year. And so the Mosaic tithe, the tithe under the Old Testament, actually involved giving over 20%. It wasn't a tenth because the the tithe would be given three different times. 23%, according to the one commentator 
I read. Even the Levites, as you recall, the Levites were the tribe that were given the responsibility over the keeping of the tabernacle and the temple. It was their job to set things up. It was their job to tend to all of the sacrificial uh, duties and and rights of, of the nation. They received their sustenance from the nation of Israel. Part of the tithe was to support the Levites, and the Levites, in receiving that offering, they too would make a tithe of, of what they received as well. Deuteronomy 26, 12 makes uh, a mention of of both the tithe and then some of what the tithe was used for. So it's kind of an interesting passage. Deuteronomy 26.12 gives us a little snapshot of the Old Testament tithe. Deuteronomy 26 and verse 12. When thou hast made an end of tithing all the tithes of thine increase the third year, all of the tithes of your abundance, all the tithes of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, and has given it to the Levite. You see, they they give this tenth to the Levites in this particular one, and the stranger, they give it to the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, that they may eat within thy gates and be filled. This was a special feast that was uh, provided for by this tithe. The the commentators um, vary in why the King James uses the third year here. I I haven't gotten to the bottom of why it's the third year in, um, in the King James, and it's different in the other ones. It'll be an interesting question, but I didn't pursue it for today. So, Pre-law, pre-Mosaic, pre-Mosaic law, Abraham, Jacob, tithe, God's people under the law tithe well over 20% a year. And it's also true, and I think you guys know it would be true to say that Christians over the centuries, all Christians over the centuries have have tithed and or brought their gifts and given them to the church. And so one of the things this morning we're going to think about is your tithing and offering. As a, as a believer, do you tithe? Do you bring offerings to the Lord as, as part, of, part of your duty or part of your worship? Contrast those two words. Is, is giving duty or is giving worship? Why do you give to the church or why don't you why why do you sometimes decide not to and I really would like to ask you to be looking at the word with me as we ponder on this question as each of us um, hopefully grows and understanding what the what the word says about this I I was curious to see what Barna might tell me about tithing in, in modern times. Barna is an organization that, uh, I'll just say in a very general way, does statistical research in, in the Christian world. They, they represent from right to left of professing Christian peoples in the world. And so Barna's... Christian statistics don't necessarily represent um, only evangelical believers, which you'll see here in just a second. But um, according to Barna, among all born-again adults, born-again to Barna means if we ask the person, are you born again, and they say yes, then they're born again. So even born again, according to Barna, is a pretty nebulous sort of a definition. But among all born-again adults, 9% contribute a tenth or more of their income. 9%. And so that means, see how good your math is, about what percent doesn't tithe? 91%. (laughs) About 91% uh, does not 
tithe among those who claim to be born again. And so it would be safe to assume that that most, uh, obviously, most professing Christians don't tithe. And so the question before us this morning is, is your giving habit, is the way you give, and is the reason you give something that you have prayerfully formed by your knowledge of the Word of God and by your faith in the Lord Jesus? Is, is your giving welded into and knit into your overall uh, faith in Christ? Or is it molded and formed by something else? Because our, our knowledge of Scripture, our, our walking in the light of Scripture, our love of and our faith in the Lord, these, these are mandatory things to be in place. In other words, if our giving isn't related to our faith in Christ and our knowledge of the church, then somehow we've compartmentalized it outside of that. So I'm hoping that by looking at some scriptures together, we'll, we'll push the two things even closer together and, and, and help our giving be a good part of, of how we understand the, the Word of God. So let's have a look at the scriptural witness of, of giving and offering. You know, tithes and offerings first make us think of money. It's the most immediate uh, way we would define what it means as far as, you know, what's my responsibility? Money. Tithing would mean my money in some way. But we would also real quickly realize that that it's time. Tithing and or giving or, or offering is, is also time because money is really just a storage of sorts. It's a token of your time, isn't it? What, what I mean by that is... is you labor, you work, you do something to get value. And the way you and I mobilize value is with money. So if I work for 10 hours and I get 100 bucks, my $100 is kind of a token of my 10 hours. The two things are, realistically speaking, the same thing. If you sell a chair or if you sell a quilt, you're actually selling your time and your skill that had been invested into that thing that was able to be turned into this token of your time. And so a gift that is made to God, if it's your money or if it is your crop or if it is your animal, is in a roundabout way a, a gift of your time. And the way the offerings in the scripture are exacted from the people of God is they give their best. They give their best crops. They give their first crops. They give their best animal just to keep things kind of general. So Leviticus 27 said, bring the tithe from your best animals, your best grain, etc. Tithes and offerings are the farmer's produce from his labors that he will come and, and bring to the Lord. One of the most well-known, I think, passages in the Old Testament about tithing is in the book of Malachi, chapter 3. This is an interesting one. When we're thinking about the Scripture's testimony to giving and the tithing, this passage will often come up in a in a message on tithing or on giving. And I'm purposefully using both words. The scripture talks about both giving and tithing. And a tithe obviously is something somebody gives, but it's it's a little bit of a different something. Giving gifts and, and tithes and offerings aren't identically the same thing. But listen to the passage here in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And the answer is, in tithes and offerings. The Old Testament is very clear that tithes and offerings not given was stealing from the Lord. 
they 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 would be robbing the Lord if they didn't give these to him. So these are this is just kind of a general, a very general look at what uh, tithes and and offerings in the scripture are. Let's look a little bit more closely. Numbers 18. Numbers 18 and verse 24. We're going to look at a few passages that reminds us that that tithes and offerings are gods. They're gods. The gift is gods. Numbers 18.24 says the tithes or the tenths of the children of Israel, which they offer as a heave offering unto the Lord. Now, the heave offering was one of many different kinds of offerings that they were to give. I have given to the Levites to inherit. So the heave offering was was something just literally held up or, you know, something along these lines before the Lord. And they didn't burn it and they didn't destroy it. But this particular heave offering, the tithes, which they offer as a heave offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites to inherit. So, interestingly, you and I can see there are two owners of, of this tithe, but God calls it his it's his. He says, I have given it to the Levites to inherit. Therefore, I have said unto them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. So, from the most ancient understanding among the Hebrews, this, this gift that, that the, tribes, the tribes who have an inheritance have a farm. They have a ranch. They have a land. Each tribe had a... Uh, a territory, right? But the Levite tribe didn't. They didn't have that kind of wealth that the other tribes had. So God is teaching and explaining to the nation of Israel, this particular offering that you give to me, I'm giving to the Levites. It's still his, but this is how God is going to be providing for the Levites. I thought it's an important way for us to realize that whatever gifts are given to the Lord, even if they end up in a man's hands or in a tribe's hands, they're God's. These are God's offerings. So the Lord instructed what was to be done with this particular offering. Now, you're right to note, and maybe you've thought of this, maybe you're wondering about this, but the New Testament doesn't speak about a Christian giving a tithe. The word tithe in a Christian's giving isn't... Um, isn't raised in the New Testament, at least with that word, with this tenth. But we will notice, too, that things, money, ultimately isn't what God wants. God isn't sitting there wondering how to pay the bills. God isn't wanting more stuff. Tithes and offerings have nothing to do with giving God stuff. So that's not so much what's in view either. God wants more, much more than than stuff or money. So look at Romans 12.1, and this is probably one of the best... Uh, deepest insights into what what is ultimately giving to the Lord under the new covenant. How do we understand it and define it? If we say that Romans 12.1 gives us a picture of, you know, the, the, the ultimate goal of giving, we read, I beseech you, therefore, Remember, when, when you see that number 12 there, that means we've read 11 chapters of Romans. It means we have a great, great, deep understanding of the gospel. Romans chapter 12 means a person really and deeply understands what it means and have been born again. A Christian is reading verse 12. And he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable ministry. So the offering that is pictured in the new covenant 
first and foremost is the born-again person himself. In other words, does, does God really want your money? He wants all of you. The person who has come to Christ and the person who has been born again has literally become the possession of God. He's been redeemed. He's been purchased. And this language here is interesting because he, this, this individual, the convert, you who have been born again are, are in a sense seen getting up on the altar of God yourself. You are the offering in this passage here. The Christian is the one who is giving himself to the Lord as a living sacrifice. So, is that more or less than a tenth? Oh my word, it's it's 100%, isn't it? The, the Lord has asked for the convert's life. The Lord has asked for the person's entire life. Therefore, whatever that person has is the Lord's, isn't it? If, if you've given yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice, how much of your money is the Lord's? 9%? <laughs> All of it. So this is, this is the... When, when we move from Old Testament understanding, they're not, the Old Testament picture of giving isn't wrong. It's... It's not done yet. Old Testament giving helps us get to the place where by the time we come to the New Covenant, all of the pictures of of blood offerings and giving tents are valuable pictures of understanding what a believer's obligations are to God. But they're they're completed. We, We get the final version of the picture in Christ and under the new covenant. So what does the Lord say about, specifically about tithes and offerings in the New Testament? How how do we see individual offerings? How do we see gifts to the Lord being spoken about in the New Testament? We'll just look at a few passages here. Matthew 23 gives us a little look here. So look at Matthew 23 and verse 23. Lord Jesus did speak a fair bit about money and about people's giving. And he says here in Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Now these guys are, are the most articulate uh, spokesmen and, and representatives of public religious life among the Jews. The the scribes and the Pharisees are very, quote-unquote, careful with knowing what the Word says and how to follow it. But he calls them hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Now pay attention to his next words. Now obviously scribes and Pharisees are not in the church, are they? These aren't people who are born again. But how were they rebuked? What is the nature of the correction made to these men? He says, these you ought to have done. In other words, it's not wrong for you to be tithing these things. Bringing these things and making these offerings isn't a wrong thing. But what's wrong? What's what's wrong? The New Testament tithe, as it were, it, it wasn't revoked. But what is said is that it was incomplete. What what you have brought is actually kind of a lightweight aspect of what you should be giving. These it, it, it's not wrong for you to bring these things, and these things would have been given to the the Levites. It's incomplete without what. It's incomplete without the born-again characteristics of justice, mercy, and faith. In other words, in in order for these offerings to bring any pleasure or rightness before God, 
You need to be a person who's been made just. You need to be a person whose heart has the mercy of the Holy Spirit. You need to be a person who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that kind of tithe was incomplete without the born-again qualities that are formed by the Spirit of God. Look at Matthew 6 and verse 3 with me, please. Matthew 6 and verse 3. This one isn't speaking about tithing, but it is speaking about giving. And in this case, it's giving of time. It's not even giving a a thing. It's giving of time. I really want to encourage you to to remember that, that your giving should involve your giving of time as much as it involves giving your your, your, your time token, your dollars, okay? It's, it's going to involve all these things. But look at what the Lord says, Matthew 6, 3. When you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. And so, do... Give of your time. Do a charitable deed. Do your good deeds, but do it unto the Lord. See, one of the things that that you and I know is true is it's tempting for your good thing, the good thing that you would do, to be done in such a public way that the praise goes to me. Look at what a good boy I am. Look Look at how nice I am. And good deeds that are to be given to the glory of the Lord can be done to the glory of you. And so the Lord Jesus is is chiding the public deed doer. Don't do it in this way to bring glory to yourself. He doesn't say don't do them, right? Do them, but do them to the Lord's glory. That's the nature of his correction there. Gift giving and, and, and tithing is believing worship. It it is something that the worshiper does because of who he knows and who he worships. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.31. We'll just be reading a verse there that I know will be familiar to you, but I think it gives some light to this subject. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or do a charitable deed, or give a gift, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. Especially you who have been redeemed. Especially you who have been purchased by the blood of Christ. We were rebellious, hardened, hell-bound sinners. And you've been saved by the blood of Christ. So whatever life you have from now until you die is all bonus. It's, it's, all, it's all time and life for the Lord, isn't it? And so whatever you do, you who have been redeemed by the Lamb, you who have been given the gift of eternal life, do it all to the glory of the Lord. Look at Psalm 51, 17. Psalm 51, 17. There are a few passages like this around the Old Testament. And and this particular passage isn't bound to only be true under the Old Covenant. This is is true in all all testaments, in all times. Look at uh, verse 17, chapter 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. In other words, what is it that God is really interested in? Uh, A man who is broken. A man who loves the Lord, a man who brings his his praises and his sacrifices to the Lord. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Look at verse 19. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with the burnt offerings and whole burnt offering 
then they shall offer bulls on your altar. There was such a thing under the old covenant when men, when families, when, when, when the tribe would bring an offering to the Lord and they might bring a lot of animals or a lot of grain or a, a big sacrifice, but no heart for the Lord, no love for the Lord, no contrition, no sorrow for sin. No gratitude for his richness to men. And, and the, the prophets would frequently say, you, you bring these things with, with a heart that has no sense of who your God is, who your Redeemer is. Who, who Israel made you a tribe? Who, who redeemed you from your slavery and gave you life as a nation? Who gave you the priesthood? Who gave you this intimate closeness to God himself in the tabernacle? I did is what God said. But you just pretend like I don't even exist. And you bring these offerings, you brag about yourself, you have no contrition, you have no humility. God takes pleasure in the man who loves him. And God is pleased with the man who, who brings himself low to the Lord in adoration and in worship to the Lord. The Lord Jesus taught people to guard against carnal Giving, the, the, the giving of, of mint and cumin in a, in a public way while ignoring godliness, the, the charitable deed that might lift yourself up. He, he warned men, don't do this kind of giving. Don't, don't do this sort of thing for yourself. But he didn't say don't give. He never said, don't do charity. He never said, don't tithe and, and make offerings. He showed us, actually, that God takes great pleasure in generosity. And this word generous, I think, might be rightly used to replace the word tithe under the new covenant. And uh, let's look at a couple passages. In, uh, Mark 12 be the first one where we see this idea that, that the Lord just takes great pleasure in generosity. Mark 12, verse 41. You guys all remember this passage. The Lord Jesus sat opposite the treasury. There was a little box where, where the Jews could bring an offering in Jerusalem. And, and they were sitting there. And they saw how the people put money into the treasury and many who were rich put in much. And then one poor widow came and threw in two mites or two coppers, which made a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. Now, here's a very, very important spiritual economic principle. Mark this in your Bible some way because... The, the way we do economics on earth and the way economics is done in heaven is a totally different thing. A totally different thing. 41. And onward. So what, what we're seeing here is, is what does God consider rich? And what does God consider poor. Verse 42, again, one poor widow came through in two mites, which made a quadrants. He called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, the poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. How is it that two cents is more than a hundred dollars? This is this is the math equation you've got to figure out in your mind and in your heart. And this is how you and I understand what is it the Lord takes pleasure in in terms of giving. Let's finish reading the passage, verse 44. They all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had, her whole livelihood. The Lord didn't look at that and go, oh no, what's she going to buy for dinner? Oh no, the poor girl spent all her money. The Lord looked at that and said, what a sweet offering because of her generosity. So again, the, the, the giving isn't, isn't rebuked, revoked, taken away, but it's looked at under a spiritual eye, isn't it? The Lord has, has been teaching his people to understand giving in a different way under the new covenant. Giving is looked at in a different light. 
As regards to giving in the church, the New Testament doesn't ever give an example of money spent on facilities and buildings. We just don't find it in the New Testament. Spending your resources in a huge way or in in any way on, on maintaining a facility. But the New Testament does talk about caring for certain needs in our congregations. And the New Testament talks about collecting this money from believers who have determined in their own hearts how much they will give to help them do this. So when do they give? 1 Corinthians 16. When do they give? 1 Corinthians 1. I'm sorry, 16, 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. When does a believer give? There's just kind of a little quick note on this. And there will be other passages to look at on any given Sunday. We never say everything there is to say about something. But we'll just look at some examples here. This one says, Concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. So these different congregations have been instructed to do this. He says, On the first day of the week, which is the Sunday, let each one of you lay something aside storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And so there is just an amount of money that the the believer is to determine in his heart. How much are you going to set aside and you can collect it on the Sunday? What is it for? What is this money collected for? Well, in this particular incidence in 1 Corinthians 16, it's actually supposed to be sent to Jerusalem because the Christians in Jerusalem were under some kind of duress. We don't know what it is. The scriptures are a tiny bit quiet about you know the specific need. It could have potentially been some kind of famine there. Um, could have been some other sort of problem. Um, Hebrews uh, 6.10 makes a similar kind of uh, a mention of, of God's pleasure in one Believer or one congregation giving for the relief of God's servants. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. There are people who are benefiting from either your time. It could be that you are, maybe you opened up your home to someone who needed a place to spend the night or who needed a meal. Or maybe you sent a gift to someone who needed some help. And basically in Hebrews 6 here, um, God takes note of that effort to provide for the need. And God has seen this as something done for his name. as something the worshiper is doing for God's name and for God's sake. Some churches had members who wanted support, but the churches were instructed to not give it. This is an interesting little passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Some churches had members who wanted to be supported by the church, and the church was instructed to not help them. And those, these certain folks were instructed to work instead. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3.10. He says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. And now all the way down to verse 12. We just read verse 10. Now let's read verse 12. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So Christians are actually taught not to relieve somebody who wouldn't work. There's a difference between somebody who wouldn't work and somebody who can't work, of course. But there were some people in this congregation in Thessalonica who were lazy. They were happy to receive the the the, yeah, the free meals or, or whatever it was to, to get relief somehow from the church and this church was instructed don't, don't uh, promote that sort of thing. So let's look at the question for a moment. How much 
should a Christian give? Second Corinthians chapter nine. What's the number? Can we come up with a number? Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse six. See if any of you can find the number in this passage here. He says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we don't see a tenth here, do we? We don't see a a number here. There isn't a number called the tenth here, but they are asked to be generous. They are asked to give not sparingly. They are asked to not give grudgingly. So would that be a tenth? Would it be 15%? Would it be 2%? It seems to be that the believer is to purpose in his heart something that is the opposite of sparingly, It isn't something that the person determines how much can I hold back. It is something he is to be generous about. And he's not to do it from grudging. He's not to do it from duty. Because giving from your grudgedness and giving from your dutifulness is ugly. It is like the worst, ugliest kind of giving. And just... You, you who are married, if your spouse brings you a gift and says, oh, it's your birthday, here's your present I have to give you every year, you, you, you would have no warm fuzzies in your heart, would you? You'd be like, wow, I'm so glad you love me. So Paul's instruction to the Christian I'm sorry for you guys who throw the, the, the roses on the counter when you come in from work, say, here you go, babe, I'm taking a shower. <laughs> but isn't it true, I mean, when we've looked at a few passages in the Old Testament, what does God want out of a man or a woman? He wants your heart. He wants a contrite heart. He wants a heart who recognizes, what has God done for you? What has God spent for you? What did it cost to redeem you? And what is the kind of interest and devotion in your heart toward what he is doing until he returns? Are are you interested in what God is interested in? Are you doing what God is doing? Or does it bug you? The church meets twice on Sundays and once again on Wednesdays. Does that bug you? Man, I don't want to do that. I've got stuff to do. The the believer who sees God in in our relationship to him in in their right proportions see an opportunity to be with our Savior, see an opportunity to, to be fed from our Lord, see an opportunity to participate in making his name known. And so when when Paul warns the believers here, don't give sparingly, don't give grudgingly, give joyfully, it's a challenge to your heart to really think through, what am I doing here? Why am I coming on Sundays? Why why am I not coming on Sundays? Why why am I coming on Wednesdays? Why am I not coming on Wednesdays? Is, Is your participation in being equipped in the Lord and worshiping the Lord, is this such a terrible burden for you? And do you feel that if you spend that time doing some charitable thing or or giving money that the Lord can't pay you back? Is, Is the Lord broke? Is the Lord unable to sustain you if you give to the Lord? See, these, these kinds of things are the things that need to go through our minds and our hearts as we ponder what it means to be in a right relationship with the Lord. God loves a cheerful giver. The scripture says he loves a cheerful giver. It means we trust him and it means we love him. Scripture also emphasizes, and, and finally, it emphasizes the, the church's support to its teachers. 
The church's support to its teachers is another very clear, specified thing in the New Testament. We'll just look at a couple passages and then we'll um, we'll wrap this up. But 1 Timothy 5.17 is a reference where Paul's teaching Timothy. He's he's sending Timothy this letter. Here's how to um, be pastoring in the church of Ephesus there, Timothy. And so 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So this is a, a just an instruction to Timothy, to Timothy, those of you who teach there should be provided for. It should be double honored. It's, it's a little more clear in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 9, 6. There seems to be some disputing happening in the church in Corinth about who they're going to be supporting financially or not. So 1 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul is asking this question, is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? It's kind of an oddly stated sentence, but basically Paul and Barnabas are saying, we're working our tails off. We are working hard. Verse 7, whoever goes to war at his own expense, which is Paul and Barnabas saying, you know what, guys, we are laboring as ministers in the gospel and we're paying our own way. Who does that? Paul's asking them. What pastors do that? Of course, Paul and Barnabas do. He's, he's saying, we do this, right? He goes on to say, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? No, isn't it amazing? All the way back there, the Lord puts this passage under the Old Covenant. And we're shown by Paul, the intention is to point out that there, there is to be care made for those who are teaching and feeding the flock. Is it oxen God are concerned about? The answer is no. Verse 10, or does it say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope. He who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Is it a big deal? Is it a a major problem if we reap your material things? If others are partaking of this right over you, and this was part of the problem. There's these super apostles in Corinth, and they're claiming to be uh, have more rights than the actual biblical apostles. But he says, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. So he closes this. He rebukes them and charges them firmly, and yet closes it saying, look, I'm willing to... I'm I'm working, and Barnabas and I are working. We're working hard. We don't want to be a burden on you. We're not going to exact this thing from you, but it's all right, is the point of his speaking there. So the New Testament does say more, but there is a a very clear um, requirement under the New Covenant for the the congregations to provide for their uh, teaching elders among them. So, the question is, is, is why do people tend to give or not? And, and what should we be giving? Gifts and tithes are your time and they are your money, but we need to remember where they came from. Where did your time come from? Where did your money come from? Where did your skills come from? Romans 12 says that your entire life is an offering to the Lord, doesn't it? If you have come to salvation, if you understand the gospel, then we present our lives a living sacrifice to the Lord. So the language of tithe isn't isn't directly brought over from the Old Covenant, is it? Because the entire life now belongs to the Lord. The Christian has been taught, and, and we looked at the passage, they take a collection. They, they weekly bring a collection and in, in God's own grace, it's, it's a very interesting thing that the Lord has asked each believer to determine in his own heart. 
an amount that he wishes to bring as a, as a token of his offering to the Lord for his congregation. He's able to determine in his heart freely and he, he alone, you alone as a believer can, can determine what is my, what is my generousness going to look like? What is my unsparing look like? How can I do this and, and not grudge it? They helped other Christians who were under difficult circumstances of need, maybe need of famine, maybe need of some special financial hardship. And they supported their teachers in their churches. So work on this, ponder on this. The gift that is given from a contrite heart who loves God is pleasing to the Lord. This is a thing where every believer has just got to really be constantly working on our own hearts because when, when we start giving away of our resources, in a way, we're giving away an opportunity to spend it on something else. And that causes people to feel like holding back a little bit. And so this is where we need to stay in a, in a proper relationship to our Lord. We want to keep real short accounts with our Lord. Lord, am I in a place where I'm, I'm holding back, where I'm, where I'm feeling resentful, or am I content and happy with what you've given me, Lord? I want to remind you that his name and his kingdom are ultimate. This is the, this is the primary, ultimate, great thing that we have in consideration as believers. And we know that our time and our skills and our money has all come from the Lord. And we're happy to give part of what he's given us to show his love to the other saints. And remember, when, when we give, it's his. His love to the poor his support to the thing that we're giving it to. It's his. And we're giving it back to him for these things. So your life as an offering to the Lord, your time and your money as an offering to the Lord is ours to to give and ours to offer and ours to honor the Lord with. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 10:42, he says, even a cup of cold water given in his name will not go unrewarded. And so there is this interesting truth in, in the New Testament, in the scriptures, that when a man or woman gives in faith to the Lord, the Lord sees it, the Lord knows it. So I just want to encourage you to um, hear, these, hear these teachings, hear these uh, reminders and these exhortations about what the New Testament teaches the Christian about how we give and and why we give. The ultimate giving, of course, we're going to take our communion together now is uh, 1 Corinthians 11. The Lord Jesus taught his disciples how to remember his his final act of giving to them in 1 Corinthians 11. 23. 